Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. We've got a busy time coming up here at Netherwood Park, and I want to just mention a few things that are coming up uh, so that you can be in prayer about it, so that you can take some action about some of these things that are coming up. First thing I want to mention is next Saturday is our Vacation Bible School here at Netherwood Park. If you haven't yet registered your kids or your grandkids, you need to get that done soon so we have some idea of how many kids we can expect. If you haven't invited your neighbors and your friends and your family, you need to do that right away as well so they can be here with us next Saturday. And if you've been thinking about volunteering to help and you haven't yet done that, it is next Saturday, so it would be a good time to do that right away. Also, um, as, as Kyle mentioned in the prayer, our youth group, our mission team is heading to Houston They'll leave early Friday morning. They'll be down there all that week for a little over a week before they come back to us. And I would really request that you keep them in your prayers as well um, as they uh, do this important task that they've been sent to do as they interact with these inner city kids in Houston as we look to see our kids transformed and those kids transformed as well. Please keep them in your prayers. And then in two weeks, two Sundays from now, is our annual area-wide worship service here at Netherwood Park. It's Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, followed by a dinner. Um, that is a dinner that uh, is for the benefit of the, the Student Center. We'd really encourage all of you to plan on being here for that in two weeks. And then the final thing I want to mention is it's not till August, but we really need to be uh, in prayer and need to be working towards making our women's retreat a great success. You'll find flyers like this in the back and in other places. Encourage ladies for you to pick these up, make your plans, get registered now, but also take these flyers and use them to invite others to come and be a part of that excellent event that's going to occur August the 24th and 25th here at Netherwood Park. So please do that as well. Well, today, as we continue our series from the book of Romans, we'll be talking about how our submission to government authorities should be transformed by our submission to the gospel. So we'll be in Romans chapter 13. This would be a great time to pick up your Bibles and turn there, Romans chapter 13. But before we start talking about our transformed submission, I want to share some good news with you. Today, at the end of our worship service, we'll be able to witness my friend David Rivas submit to the gospel. He's going to be baptized. David is going to go down into the water. He's going to join with Jesus Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. David's going to come out of the water as a new man, cleansed of his sins, redeemed by Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, isn't it exciting to see the transforming power of the gospel at work among us. It's exciting times. I want to go ahead and give you this week's uncomfortable challenge. This is uncomfortable challenge number 24. And it's probably not fair for me to call it an uncomfortable challenge. In fact, this may be the most comfortable, uncomfortable challenge you can imagine Any challenge that involves ice cream can't be very uncomfortable. So really, this is a wonderful challenge. I want to challenge every one of you, each and every one of you, to come to our wonderful Wednesday barbecue and song and prayer service this Wednesday. Now, I know many of us have become very comfortable in other Wednesday night habits. 
But this Wednesday, I challenge you to show up at the gym between 5.30 and 6.30 and eat hamburgers and hot dogs with us. I'm going to be doing the shopping, and I'm going to be doing the cooking, and I'm going to buy and cook extra meat in anticipation of all of you being there. So we're going to eat together, and then after that, we'll make our way over to the fellowship hall. We'll have an all-request singing service. And then when that's over at 8 o'clock, we're going to move back to the gym, and we're going to eat ice cream together. The only way I could make this really an uncomfortable challenge is if you eat the ice cream really fast, you'll get one of those ice cream headaches, so maybe that'll be uncomfortable. But please, take the challenge and be here this Wednesday night. I promise you, you won't be sorry that you did. Well, let's catch up a little bit with where we are in Romans. We're now in the part of Paul's letter where he's giving instruction about transformed living. Paul's moved from theology from talking about who God is and about what God has done for us. He's moved to doxology. We saw Paul praise and worship God for who he is and for what he has done. And now Paul has moved to transformed living. He's telling us who we are to be, what we are to do as a result of what God has done, a result of who God is. Result of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. To use Paul's language, we are to be living sacrifices. So we could call this the living sacrifice part of Paul's letter. Paul's been telling us because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we must sacrifice our own lives. And the first two ways that we've seen Paul calling us to sacrifice our lives are challenging for us but they're not probably very surprising to us. A few weeks ago, we saw Paul say that we live lives that are transformed in the way that we think about ourselves. Paul says, living sacrifices don't think more highly of ourselves than we should. And then last week, Paul showed us that we live out the gospel through transformed love. Paul said, living sacrifices love others, and they love others because God loves us. And he says, living sacrifices love others in the same way that God loves us. But now, today, in chapter 13, Paul's going to take us to what I think is a more surprising place. We're going to talk about submission But we're not going to talk about just submission, not just submission to God or submission to others, but submission to others who are government authorities. Paul's going to tell us that living sacrifices submit to their government. That raises at least a couple of questions for me. The first question that occurs to me is, why would Paul feel that it's necessary? Why would he think it's necessary to broach this subject, this subject of submission to the government? And the second question that occurs to me is, Why is submission to the government a characteristic of transformed love? Why is it a characteristic of transformed followers of God? We're going to spend most of our time on question number two, but let's start with question number one. Why does Paul bring this up? Why does Paul bring up the subject of being in submission to the government? Well, to help us get to that answer, I want you to take a look at this picture 
This is a picture of six fairly recent U.S. presidents. When I first was going to make this slide, I was going to put up all the presidents that, have been al- that I was alive to, to be uh, a part of, but there were too many of them to fit on a screen, so it's like we had to narrow it down to six. I balanced it out by political party. There are three Republicans and three Democrats that are up there. Presidents Carter, Reagan, Clinton, Bush the Younger, Obama, and Trump. And as that picture comes up, I'm very confident that most of us have an emotional response to at least some of those pictures. And I'm also very confident that our emotional responses aren't the same. Am I right? I know I'm right. We don't all agree. We don't all have the same opinions about these six men, do we? Now, we all know that the president isn't the government. The government's made up of numerous branches and agencies and employees and different levels, and there are a dizzying array of government functions and responsibilities But the president is the head. He's the face of our particular form of government. So how we feel about the president affects how we feel about the government. And that's the primary reason why I think Paul addresses the importance of submitting to the government. See, it's easy to submit to the government when we agree with everything. But we find it hard to submit to people we don't like. We find it hard to submit to people we don't respect. We find it hard to submit to people that don't agree with us. And we find it hard to submit to institutions that are led by people that we don't like or respect or agree with. And I'm very confident that very few of us have fond feelings for all six of these men. And I'm very confident that all of us don't have a great deal of respect for these six men, all six of these men. So as a consequence, I'm also very confident that many of us have found it difficult to submit to our government when it was led by men we didn't like or didn't respect or didn't agree with. So when we open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 13 and Paul jumps out with this imperative, with this commandment and says, everyone must submit himself or herself to the governing authorities, that can be rather startling. See, I know some of us really struggled with that command in the previous eight years. And I know some of us are really struggling with that command right now. Aren't we? Well, it's always good to have some context and some perspective on commands like this, isn't it? So let's get some context. Let's get some perspective. So let me give you this context. When Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome, telling them that they must submit to their government, he wasn't writing to people who had a warm, fuzzy, mutually beneficial relationship with their government. That wasn't the reality of these Christians reading Paul's letter. For Jews and Christians during this time, the political situation can best be described as volatile. They were at mercy, at the mercy of the king, at the mercy of Caesar, at the mercy of his whims. 
The government was a pagan government. And in the very best of times, it was merely unfriendly to Jews and Christians. And during the worst of times, it was openly hostile and oppressive. And yet here's Paul, who himself suffered greatly at the hands of the Roman government. Here's Paul saying, that's not strong enough, Paul commanding that the Roman Christians must submit to their government, to that government. Do you think maybe some of them struggled with that command? Well, there's some, there's some context. Now let's get some perspective. And for some perspective, let's go back and look again at what Jesus said in our scripture reading in Matthew chapter 22. You'll remember that remarkable exchange from when it was read just a few minutes ago. There's this encounter. And part of that encounter are some Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious, anti-government, anti-tax group. The anti-government, anti-tax Pharisees. And they joined forces with another group, the Herodians. And they're political, and they're pro-government, and they're pro-tax. But somehow they joined forces to lay a trap for Jesus. These strange bedfellows came together to try and trap Jesus because even though they disagreed about their government, and even though they disagreed about taxes, they agreed about Jesus. And they were both anti Jesus. So after some good old-fashioned flattery to Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians lay their trap, and they lay their trap with this question. They asked Jesus, tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Is it right to pay taxes to the Roman government or not? So what's the trap? Well, if Jesus says no to taxes, if he says it isn't right for the Jews to pay taxes to the Roman government, he's going to publicly identify himself as a traitor to Rome. And he can expect to suffer at the hands of those governing authorities. However, if he says yes to taxes, if he says yes, it's right for Jews to pay taxes, he's going to publicly identify himself as a traitor to his own people, as a traitor to the religious Jews. And he can expect his reputation as a religious leader and as a religious teacher and as a spiritual influencer, he can expect that to suffer. It's really an elegant little trap that's laid But Jesus doesn't fall into the trap. Jesus doesn't play along. Instead, Jesus responds like this. He says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? He says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And he took the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this? On mine it's Eisenhower, but pretend like it's Caesar. Whose portrait is this and whose inscription Caesar's they replied then he said to them give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's do you hear what Jesus is saying instead of falling into this trap he instead brilliantly confirms that human governments are legitimate give to Caesar what is Caesar's Pay the tax. 
But at the same time, Jesus asserts that our relationship with those same governments has limits. We don't give everything to Caesar. We give Caesar what is rightfully his, but no more. Well, why no more? Well, we give Caesar what is his, but no more, because we must give God what is rightfully his, and no less. See, Jesus held up that coin for everyone to see. He's saying that Caesar has stamped his image on certain things, like this coin. And those things rightfully belong to him. Jesus is also saying, don't lose sight of the fact that God has stamped his image on you. God stamped his image on mankind. He's stamped his image on our hearts, on our souls, our minds, on our spirits. And Jesus is saying, those things on which God has stamped his image, those things rightfully belong to him. Today we might say, you're not from the Denver Mint, you're from God's Mint. You are minted by God. So Jesus says, give the things to Caesar, give the things to the government that rightly belong to them. But he says, we must give the things to God that rightfully belong to him. We must give God our hearts, our souls, our minds, our spirits. That's some perspective from Jesus. So with that political context from Rome and with Jesus' perspective in mind, let's listen to Paul talk about transformed submission. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Don't you wish Paul would just go ahead and say what he means? This is pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Paul makes it very clear that the default position of every Christian to any state, to any government, to any president, is to submit to them because they have a divine right to exist. They have a divine right to govern. Paul affirms what Daniel made clear and other places in the Bible make clear. Paul affirms that it's God who sets up governments and it's God who takes down governments. And since God sets them up, they aren't ours to tear down. So rebelling against the state, Paul tells us, that's resisting God. And it's inviting his judgment. Now, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure I can't fully buy into that. I mean, surely Paul didn't mean that I should blindly do whatever the government says I should do. And that's why Jesus' perspective is so important. Paul is calling us to a profound obedience to our government, but he isn't calling us to blind devotion to our government. 
Remember, Jesus said, governments have divine authority, but they aren't divine. So our obedience to the government, it should be profound, but it's also conditional because we can only give to Caesar what is rightfully his, but we must give to God what is rightfully his. So we must obey the government. But we must obey God rather than the government. We must engage in civil disobedience, if you will. When the government asks us to do something, when the government asks us to violate a command of God. You'll remember in Acts chapters 4 and 5, the apostles are preaching throughout Jerusalem and it's causing a big stir and the, the religious authorities don't like what's going on because they know the government authorities won't like what's going on. So Peter and John are commanded to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, and here's what they said. They said, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. A little bit later, they say, we must obey God rather than men. So we must resist if our government asks us to disobey God. If God says preach, we must preach. If God says worship, we must worship. We must also resist if our government asks us to engage in an immoral act. If God says it's wrong, it doesn't matter if our government says it's right. And we must resist if we're asked to violate our Christian consciences, if our consciences are informed by Scripture, and if they're led by the Spirit, if they're in submission to God, then if our Spirit-led and, and Bible-informed consciences tell us it's wrong, it doesn't matter if the government says it's right. We know this from history, right? We know that blind obedience to our governments leads us to do immoral things. Sometimes even horrific things. Blind obedience, just taking orders, led us to the Holocaust. So yes, we're called to submission, but not blind obedience. See, our submission to God has to Overrule it has to overwhelm our submission to human authorities. So we might ask, if we're citizens of heaven, if we're minted by God, if we carry his image, why do we even have governments? Why did God give them the divine right to exist? Why did he give them the divine right to govern? And that's where Paul turns next. In verse 3, to the role of governments. Paul says, rulers have no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. What's Paul saying here? Well, he's saying the proper role of the government is as God's servant. 
Literally, Paul is saying that government is God's deacon. It's been put in place to serve God. Governments are put in place to do God's work, whether they know it or not. Governments wittingly or unwittingly serve God. That's their role and that's why they exist. And one important way they serve God is highlighted here by Paul. Paul says, governments bear the sword for God. They keep the peace for God. They keep the peace, they keep order by setting civil rules and civil laws. And by enforcing those rules and enforcing those laws and by punishing those who refuse to obey those laws. Governments serve God by bringing order and accountability and they work to keep mankind's worst impulses under control. Imagine our world without any government authorities. Without governing authorities working in service to God, our human experience would be chaos, wouldn't it? It would be anarchy. If each of us were able to give in to our worst impulses, we can only imagine the world that we would live in. Governments exist to serve God. So why do we submit to them? Why do we follow their rules and obey their laws? Why do we pay their taxes? Paul says, beginning in verse 5, here's why. He says, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. See, Paul's saying we submit. We give Caesar what is Caesar's. We follow the rules and we obey the laws and we pay the taxes because it's right. And because it's wise. And because it's fair. It's the right thing to do because the authorities are God's servants. And it's the wise thing to do because people who follow the rules and who obey the laws and who pay their taxes don't have to live in fear of the government, in fear of the government wielding the sword against them. And it's the fair thing to do because the government isn't just an institution, it's made up of people. People who are working as God's servants, wittingly or unwittingly, working to bring order, working to bring accountability to God's world. And it's only fair that those servants are paid what they deserve, taxes and revenue when they're due, and respect and honor when they are due. That's why we submit. That's why we pay. So what's the bottom line? Well, for me, the bottom line is this. This is my conclusion to the matter. Conclusion number one. We may deplore our governing authorities' politics. We may be repelled by their conduct. We may be horrified by their immorality. 
but we still submit. We don't blindly follow, but we still submit. And number two, we may love our governing authorities' politics. We may applaud their conduct. We may be enamored with their moral compasses. But even though we submit, we never give them our hearts. We never give them our souls. We never give them our minds or our spirits. Those belong to God. As Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Let's pray. Father, it's difficult for us to say sometimes, but Father, we thank you for our government. We thank you for the governments around the world. And Father, we trust that you have put them in place. And whether they know it or not, Father, they are acting as your servants. So Father, help us to submit. But Father, help us to only submit when what we're asked to do doesn't interfere with what you have told us to do. Because, Father, we belong to you and we want to be your servants. Father, our citizenship is with you. And, Father, help us to be people who live out this this submission in our lives so that others may look at us and say, that's what it looks like to be a child of God. A child who gives to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but gives to God everything that belongs to God. Our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirits. We pray this through the name of Jesus, the Christ. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, right now, today, David Rivas is going to submit to God in baptism. He's going to come up to the front as we sing a song together. And I just want to say, if you're here and you're ready to submit to God in baptism, why not take advantage of this opportunity? Why not join with David, but more importantly, why not join with Jesus Christ in his death and burial and resurrection and be baptized today? Why don't you come forward, too, as we stand and we sing? Let's stand. Sing.